You're listening to Juicy Radio. I'm your host, Tony Bacigalupo, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Natasha Guerra, the CEO of Runway East, a UK-based co-working space. It's more than one space now. It's actually expanding quickly, which we'll be talking about in the program. And uh, Natasha has an amazing emphasis on culture and values in her space, specific to startups. So it's a startups-only space. It's curated. So that allows them to really focus in their programming on their audience because they know that their audience is all kind of within a certain range. And so we cover that in this conversation. And then also we talk a little bit kind of about the larger trend of co-working and why the realness of running a co-working business, an actual physical brick and mortar space, kind of mirrors this larger trend that's happening in the world where more and more people are wanting to experience things in real life with tangible outcomes. So all that and more coming up in this conversation that I'm sharing with you now with Natasha Guerra from Runway East on this Juicy Radio, episode 23. Hello, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining me here on Juicy Radio. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So great to have you on the program. So um, tell me your story. How did you first hear about co-working? What got you into this movement? What made you decide to dedicate uh, the work that you're doing now uh, to in this direction? So ever since I um, kind of decided to get a job, I've always worked in tech startups um, and kind of had had and eventually decided it was time to start my own. Um, I was running kind of an admin services business at the time and working out of a co-working space. And one of my good friends also worked in that co-working space. Um, and it was really, really great being in the same space together because we could share ideas, we could collaborate on things. I could run over and ask him a question being like, should I hire this person? Um, do you think this is a good term sheet? You know, whatever the kind of thing that popped in, that I needed a bit of help or advice in. Um, I had someone there to to go to uh, but I didn't really know anyone else and um one day we kind of decided that there was a bit of an opportunity there um to actually create a community space where everyone really did know each other and they shared ideas and um helped each other out um and we thought the best way to do that was to to create a space where you know kind of we put like-minded people side by side amazing so you actually were inspired by both the positive experience of having had this environment in another co-working space, but then also recognizing that you wanted something more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I worked in various startups in Silicon Valley and London and have always kind of absolutely loved um, the startup culture and the startup vibe. And so it's really great now to be able to be helping lots of other startups to kind of accelerate them through their entrepreneurial journey. Amazing. And so give, give me a little bit more on how you went from being a customer of somebody else's co-working space to being the proprietor of your own. This is not a small undertaking. You've got a bunch of locations. So this, this became a pretty big uh, project for you. Um, so my, it was my side project originally. My side project is now my full-time and my side project. <laughs> um, so we kind of, how we started is we kind of looked around for, uh, I guess, what was known by the 
property industry is we took a fag end lease, um, which was a property on Old Street Roundabout, which is kind of the heart of um, Silicon Tech in, in London, um, at one of Helical Bar's buildings. And they, they had about a, just under a year left on the lease before they were redeveloping the building. Um, so we took that space and we spent next to nothing on the fit out. It was kind of, um, you know, lots of cork and the Ikea furniture and we just were like right right let's run this as what we call in like tech land as an mvp kind of minimum of our product what's the like shortest work thing we can do to kind of get this up and running and test it um and at first it was kind of more like a living room of all of our friends and all of our you know uh, the friends that we had that ran businesses moved in and um the space only held around 100 people um but it was like once it kind of got up and running i think it took us you know eight eight to twelve weeks to completely fill it um after we'd we built it. I think it might have only been eight weeks, and um, the whole time we had it, we operated it, it operated with like a quite a big waiting list, um, and we just had so much fun. Um, and as we're kind of going along, I was like, I actually, kind of prefer this to to running a tech business because you kind of get like immediate user feedback. So you know, if something breaks, you know about it because people complain. Um, and if you aren't selling desks, then you know about it. You, you like you know you're doing something wrong because people aren't buying the product. Um, and I felt this was a bit different for me because obviously in a tech product, you kind of sometimes have a lot of vanity metrics um, and they come sometimes guide your judgment mistakenly. And I just found this like a really a breath of fresh air, really. Like I kind of, I could just tell easily if we were doing a good job and I knew what the next um, milestone should be. So I kind of decided this was going to be, um, this was a real opportunity to um, do something, you know, take this to the next level and um, to actually build this out into a, a bigger community than that first one. So when that first space closed down, um, in, I think that was around mid 2015. Um, we took our first, um, like long, long-term agreement, um, at another space in old street, which is just off, uh, Finsbury square, which holds around 250 people. And we still got that space. And since then we've kind of been growing one space at a time until now we've decided to do three spaces all at once, which is <laughs> causing lots of stress for our expansion team. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. So we're going to need to dive into that a little bit more, but uh, first I want to step back for a second and, and kind of reflect what you had just said about the realness of your experience as a, a brick and mortar business owner. And I know it was something that I experienced as well when I was getting started, having come from the world of tech and being so used to doing business online and in these kind of digital forms, the realness of running a brick and mortar business is it's a big contrast. It's a very different kind of experience. And oh yeah, it's I've, real. And it's moving. Yeah. <laughs> I think like we've had, um, we've had people that have tried to switch and some people make the jump amazingly. And some people actually find it really, really hard because things are literally on fire, right? The toilet's broken. The, um, <laughs> the passes aren't working. The internet's gone down and there's hundreds of people that can't do any work when the internet goes down. And so I think it's like, I personally, I find it like really exciting. Um, that sounds a bit sad, but I guess it's just, it's true, right? So No, it's not sad. It's, it's wonderful because it was, it was sad for me. Like I didn't, I, there were a lot of things I didn't enjoy about the brick and mortar, you know, uh, challenges. If, like the, 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 you've encapsulated it really well. Things are literally on fire. Like when we talk about it in, in software, we say all, we, we spend all day fighting fires. We're speaking very figuratively, but in a co-working space, you're talking about actual physical problems that are happening in the space. Yeah. Um, hopefully, think, hopefully not actual fires, but yeah, no, not I, I get, I get not what you mean. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also, it's really, really great to see when, um, 
I think also with, when the fruits of your labor really pay off, like we have a company Slack channel and um, community managers from different buildings will often post in it when something exciting happens. And earlier today, like two members were helping each other on a marketing project that one of them was working on and they were chatting on a, a Slack channel. And it's just really nice to see like the stuff you do actually making a difference. Um, and I think that's probably the thing that really made me want to take follow this as a passion instead. Yeah, you know, not to get too philosophical on this too early in the program, but I think that there is some kind of a trend that we're tapping into here with the the realness and the tangibility of the outcomes with co-working. You know, and I think um, like just kind of thinking back to the way that things played out in the 20th century with, you know, having people work white collar jobs for larger companies where perhaps the connection to the outcome that you're generating with the work that you do um, was abstracted out for a lot of people. And now with the internet, I mean, there's, you know, we could spend our whole lives just in our homes working online without ever interacting with somebody else uh, with all of our, you know, work being done, you know, in this virtual space. And I get the sense that there's a little bit of a snapback uh, happening there, a pendulum swing where, Mm -hmm. you know, people are realizing that, uh, they want to have real experiences in the real world around uh, around other people. Uh, and co-working is interesting in that way where everybody who's there is there because they do, they're able to do their work on the internet, presumably, or, or something like it. And yet they're coming into this physical space to be together in real life. It's actually a very kind of a low-tech thing. Yeah. So at Runway East, our kind of core belief is that startups shouldn't try to grow alone. Or to put it another way, grow it alone, and that it's better when startups work side by side. I love that. That's awesome. So, so how dig me into that because this is something that I think a lot of spaces are wondering how to address. I know we've got a lot of folks coming kind of from the real estate side now in co-working, and I think the 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 culture development side and the the programming and the way that you get people actually talking to each other and building those relationships is something that can be a little bit elusive uh, or not immediately obvious to some people. So how do you approach that? So um, I guess what kind of differentiates us is our curation of the community. So we only accept startups. As I mentioned, we turn down around 30% of people that apply. Um, And we've kind of built, you know, good relationships with major service providers that kind of support our growth and also their growth. We also um, consider ourselves by like four fundamental pillars. So our tagline is that we bring startups together to work, meet, think, and occasionally drink. Um, And those kind of the work, meet, think, and occasionally drink are kind of the four different pillars that we define our services and what we do and what we offer to people um, around those. Um, So obviously working very core (laughs) to co-working, but that's all about like the environment, the environment we provide, the kind of flexibility of um, the contracts, the service. Um, We also have a lot of, things we do to excite our customers and to delight them obviously customer service being a primary focus um but also little things like we have cake wednesdays where on wednesdays we at 4 p.m we have um cake in all of the offices and people come to the shared areas to to get cake i'm actually in our bristol office today and there is a cake um decorating competition going out on outside 
um, of the office where <laughs> various different startups have decorated cakes with their logo on from some um, icing. Um, wow. And I think these are kind of the, but the cornerstone to that kind of work thing is we do everything inclusively and we don't have any hidden fees. So there's no possibility of you getting a bill that you weren't expecting from us. And that's because we want our startups to know that we're on their side. Um, so it's not them versus us. It's us and them together kind of working side by side. Um, and then our second pillar uh, is kind of like about meeting. So we obviously, because we focus on a particular niche, um, I think it really helps us to develop um, partners and relationships with, with relevant people for those startups. So a cornerstone one for us is investors um, at Runway East. Um, we have office hours and, you know, members have raised hundreds of thousand pounds through meeting investors at our office hours. Um, we also have a monthly investor digest that goes out to 50 CVs, VCs with kind of the, the startups submit the data and we push it out and we make requests for intros. Um, we launched that in July. We've made around 20 introductions so far. Um, and we've also kind of got like a startup toolkit. We give like AWS credits, Stripe credits. So all of our kind of offering is focused around how we can help further accelerate those startups quicker. Um, and then alongside that, we kind of have two other pillars, the think pillar, which we kind of host meetups, get members of the community together, um, look at the macro trends and ensure that our startups are kind of kept up to date on them. A big thing that's been going on recently in the UK is obviously GDPR, where we ran and we ran a series of workshops around that to prepare people for the change. Um, and then the last one is drink. Like, you know what work's going to be fun? And one of the big things that I, I know I love about working a startup is I wake up every morning excited to go to my job and not um, dreading it. I've never, ever, ever once a single day at Runway East ever looked at the clock. Um, in fact, I've never at any startup I've ever worked at. And I think when I was a student, I obviously, you know, did various jobs. Like, yeah, I can't even remember the terrible jobs I did, but I bet remember just literally thinking, oh God, two hours to go, one hour to go. Um, and that being the thing. So one of the things we focus on is also how we can have fun at work. And um, so we encourage people to socialize with their team. Um, we run like big quarterly parties. We also help people organize socials for their um, team so if you fill in a form with us we'll organize like a, a social for your team at a location nearby be it an escape room like a dark game um, and then we also have a calendar of social events as well from life drawing to yoga depending on people's interests well amazing so so many great things to unpack there it sounds like you're investing heavily in um, fostering those kinds of real life interactions I mean uh, the idea of being able to have a request form where a startup in the space could work with your team to produce a gathering, I think is uh, something I've, I've not heard of before. I mean, we've, you know, not in that formal capacity. So that's a really neat, um, a neat thing. And it sounds yeah. like it's generating good outcomes. Uh, yeah, like, are, are, yeah. I think that's all down to being like, I guess in the context of this niche, like because our community is specialized and our service too, we can deliver more value add because we don't spread ourselves thin. Tell me more about that. What do you mean that you don't spread yourselves then? So because we've got a very particular type of customer, all of the events we do, all of the like workshops we run, all of the you know ability to host events, they're all kind of relevant to each other. Um, so I think yeah, that's so kind of, it makes it easier for us and it makes the stuff we are able to output higher value. Right, yeah, because when I talk to some co-working space owners, some of my clients, they'll have concerns about the fact that they have such a diverse membership that they're wondering how to appeal to 
freelancers, telecommuters, uh, small business owners, startup owners, like the, the diversity in the space uh, can make it difficult to focus some of your programming, um, mm-hmm. although it comes with other advantages. Um, but it sounds like you're really f- taking advantage of the curation that you've done to really zero in on that. Yeah. So I think for us, that's a hundred percent our focus and, and what we do. And we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't consider diverting from that. Love it. And so now you're scaling up in a big way, adding three new locations. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, I see you know what the- the property industry moves very slowly and the startup industry moves very fast. Um, and so we've been working on these sites kind of since the start of the year and we thought they'd end up being a bit more spread out than they've ended up being. But hey, you know how it rolls with um, with these things. So they've ended up all happening at the same time. But um, So we've just, we're just in the process of opening Bristol. It opens fully on the 10th of September. Um, and then we've got Soho opening 1st of October and London Bridge opening 1st of November. Wow. Wow. What a speed run for you these next few months. Um, any, any, anything that you've learned in the, in, in particular in recent times as you've kind of tackled all these projects and once I imagine you're learning a heck of a lot about the industry and about business in general as you go. Um, what have we learned? God, so many things like it's never a done deal till it's signed. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah that's a good yes, that's, that's a good learning <laughs> isn't it isn't it such a shame when you fall in love with a space and you know like you're walking around in it and you can just you can imagine that you can just picture it like this is the one this is it and then you know it kind of falls apart after the fact but you really wish that that was the one that 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 made it happen you know yeah I think the other thing I've learned is obviously at the moment we're trying to juggle like a large amount of deal flow, which is obviously creating a time restraint on us. So um, I think just ask the hard questions up front um, and don't beat around the bush. Cause you know, I feel like we've sometimes in the past, we've done a lot of work for a landlord to eventually turn around and be like, no, I'm, I'm not interested in working with, with a serviced operator. Um, so now it's look at our deck. Don't like it. <laughs> See you later. Loads of people do. Now that see that's that's I think super super valuable uh, lesson to learn in in life in general, but for the folks listening to this is to you know establish that um, establish that as as efficiently as you can. And I would say that that's you know not just for landlords, but for potential financial supporters and things like that as well. Is to you know establish as early on as possible whether you are on the same level as as far as your values. Um, and I actually wanted to mention values because I saw that you have put a lot of energy into creating and stating and presenting your values on your website. And so I just mm-hmm. thought I'd, I'd ask real quick, um, how did you go about doing that, developing the values of the, the organization? And um, how, what's that meant to you as, as far as emphasizing that? Um, so we have an amazing advisor called um, Brett Butter, who um, runs a company called Culture Gene, and I think recently published a, a book on culture, actually. Um, and um, generally speaking, like companies that um, really invest in their culture tend to be the most successful. Um, and also just like better places to work. And I think one of the things that it's really given us is our team are like empowered to make their own decisions. Because when making a decision, they can look back at the culture and be like, does this represent being community first? Um, so a hidden fee doesn't represent being community first or charging someone for something that you don't need to. So good example is like, we don't lock any of our meeting room doors. Um, so 
obviously we give people an allowance of credits. The idea of those credits is not that we ever bill anyone for meeting rooms. It's just that we need to keep some sort of system. So it's fair and people aren't booking unreasonable amounts of hours. And should they then start to book unreasonable amounts of hours, we'll send them a note that says, Hey, um, you know, you're about to go over your limit. Do you want, do you want to get some more credits? But I think, yeah, for us being community first means not locking or kicking people out of meeting rooms when they're using them, even if they haven't booked it, if a meeting room's free and it hasn't been booked, it's kind of fair use game to everyone. Um, so I, I want to say, I, I really, I really love that. Uh, it's a great example. The presumption of trust. Yeah. I think it's also, um, we also work by the theory of like, if we can do someone a favor to help them out and it doesn't, you know, impact us, we do it. So that means that, you know, if someone, um, comes to the reception desk and is like, Oh, I'm, I can't, um, you know, we've got a good example might be like the post room is sometimes um, is not open all of the day because we need people to go and open it. But people are like, I've got an urgent package. I really need it. The, you know, instead of someone be coming back to like the general manager and be like, can I use the post room out of hours? That person, you know, our community assistants, like actually this person needs this help. I've got time to do it. I can make that decision. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why values and um, our flight code are so important because I think it empowers people to know what the right decision is and know what someone even if they're super junior, what decision they'd make. See, now that, that's also helpful, especially now that you're tackling this expansion to think about how can you efficiently bring on new people who you might have very, very little interaction with, right? That someone you've hired might be hiring a bunch of other people. And how can those people represent your organization and your values and your culture in the way that you need them to in order to maintain the, the quality of service that's gotten you to where you are and establishing this kind of language early on makes that possible, right? Because other people can read these values. They can see the examples of it. They can be taught by someone who's, who's lived it. And so that allows them to very quickly pick up on it and perpetuate it from, from this point onward. Yeah. So we are, we have a dedicated um, interview for culture so it's, it's the last interview that a person goes through before joining the Runway East team. And that interview is not based on any sort of form of skills or there's no right or wrong answer to the questions. There's just at the end of it, how do we rate them? Values. So like an example of a question um, that we ask, which is related to our value of openness is tell us something you fucked up and what you learned from it. Um, and it's not, you know, or sometimes you ask people about what their weaknesses are and the, everyone has them. And like a lot of people will kind of skirt that answer with a, Oh, you know, I'm too much of a perfectionist or, and that's kind of not what we're looking for. We're looking for something to be like, actually I'm really, really impatient. And sometimes I really struggle to keep that under control. Um, and I think it, by hiring for those values, we've managed to create a, um, a good team and a team that kind of sticks around and believes in what we're doing. I love it. Natasha. That's a, that's a terrific um, idea. I feel like interviewing and bringing people on in co-working spaces can be a very tricky process. And uh, the more that you're able to educate people and and get a sense of what kind of attitude they're going to be able to bring to the to the space is just uh, it's so important because that's going to set the tone for everybody that walks into the space and interacts with that person. And a lot of times, those people are the first people that a prospective member will meet. And that it just, it, it sets the expectation for that member of what the attitude of the space is. So hugely important. They are literally sure. the base of your business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
Awesome. And so you're going to be speaking at the Juicy UK conference. This is a big deal. Juicy coming to the UK for the first time. Um, what are your What are your thoughts as you're looking uh, ahead to being at a conference with hundreds of other co-working people? Yeah, um, we're really excited. Obviously, it's exciting that Juicy is kind of making it to the UK. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing about the great debate. Is the co-working bubble about to burst in the UK? Um, sounds like a really interesting topic. And also just meeting some of the other um, delegates and finding out about what people are up to in different cities. And um, hopefully we can all share some learning and um, some things we've learned the hard way that other people don't need to repeat. For sure. And that's one of the beauties of having the conference is that you can you can uh, learn from other people's experiences and save yourself a lot of trouble. And uh, I, I know just based on our conversation here, you're going to have a lot of value to share with everyone else who's attending there, who's perhaps a couple of years behind. So um, uh, I'm excited to uh, know that you'll be speaking at that conference and sharing your wisdom with everybody there and hope you'll come away with some inspiration that'll make you uh, uh, feel more ready to tackle the, the crazy speed run of the next three spaces opening. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Thank you very much, Tony. All right, Natasha, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and uh, best of luck. Best of luck with those uh, new spaces and with uh, your time at Juicy Enjoy. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more soon. Sure. Thanks very much. All right. Take care, Natasha. Bye-bye. Fighting literal fires. I don't think I've ever heard it put so succinctly, but that is the wildness that is running a co-working space as opposed to kind of the digital business, which so many of us might be more used to. You can hear Natasha speak at the upcoming Juicy UK conference. It's going to be September 25th and 26th in London, UK. Get your tickets now at uk.juicy.co. That's uk.gcuc.co. Grab your tickets and check out the uh, agenda. There's going to be really some amazing speakers. So check out the agenda on the website. It's all on there. We've also got Juicy coming up in Banff, October 21st to 23rd in Canada. Qingdao, China, October 24th to 25th. Shanghai, November 1st to 3rd. And Mexico City, December 2 to 4. Juicy is growing like crazy. So it's an exciting time to be a part of the Juicy family. If you've been to a conference before, you know. If you haven't, I highly recommend you check one of these out in the near future. Let me know what you think of the program. Shoot me a message, Tony, T-O-N-Y, at nwc.co. You can also find me on Twitter at Tony B. Good, T-O-N-Y-B-G-O-O-D-E. If you are out there building a co-working space or thinking about it, then you're doing something that's going to make your region a better, more prosperous and happier and more connected place. And we need more of that in the world. So keep doing what you're doing. And until next time, keep being awesome. Bye.